Good evening, everybody. Welcome into another episode of our Creighton Volleyball Wrap-Up Podcast. Uh, this is Matt DeMarinas, joined as always by Megan Ballinger. Um, we're going to break down Creighton's Big East Tournament performance this weekend and get you fired up for NCAA Tournament play and everything involved with that. The Jays uh, got some good news on Sunday night, so we'll uh, we'll share that with you and um dive into some opponent uh some opponent information as best we can uh i've only watched a little bit of their their opening round opponent um thankfully there's some replays still left on espn espn plus to watch them do the thing so yeah we got quite a bit to talk about tonight um megan first of all how was your thanksgiving yeah let's get started with that it was good. It was good. I went home to Iowa. So back to do more. ate some food. Yeah, back to Ankeny. So sure. ate some good food and just enjoyed the time. Nice. Did you cook anything? Did you bake anything or what did you bring? Yeah. Well, see, I made green bean casserole. It's my favorite side dish for Thanksgiving. Okay. And um, my boyfriend, Jacob Epperson, um, forgot it at my house before we left. So I got to Thanksgiving oh, with no. our whole extended family and I was looking for the green bean casserole and it was nowhere to be found. So, and we were like an hour away. So wait, no going back for that. So we had it the next day. Okay. So <laughs> the next day. So wait, so <laughs> what did you take from the house then? If you forgot the one thing you were supposed to bring, like, what did you, how did that happen? Well, we were at my parents, and so we took my my dad's a really good cook, and he had cooked like basically everything. So we had just transported it to go um, see my family in Pella, Iowa, is where I have a lot of family. Okay. Um, but yeah, so we brought like mostly everything packed to the car, and that didn't make it in the back of the car. But I did make some pumpkin bars, so I made up for it in my dessert. So okay. that was good. But, okay. And yeah. those, those, those were a big hit. They went off. Okay. Those were a hit. Yeah. Okay. Those were, those were a good time. So, but yeah, those green, that green bean casserole, my one day of the year to eat it. And I had to shift my schedule of eating it. So <laughs> that's all right though. We survived. Tragic. Unfortunate. I think I saw one video, uh, this weekend where it was like, it was like a family, but the mom sent everybody in the family t-shirts of what they had to wear that day but what they had to wear that day all that all that was on the t-shirt was just like what they had to bring so it was like if you, oh my gosh <laughs> the turkey it was like the turkey label and all the ingredients and everything so like that's what it was just like they were basically walking around in uh store labels of what they needed to bring the only thing not to forget well at least they couldn't forget things so yeah that'd exactly. be good that would have been helpful you know i maybe, would then i would have really remembered <laughs> maybe next year a little creative uh reminder. maybe um, so yeah, but the Jays had a good Thanksgiving too, uh, out in Milwaukee. Um, they swept both DePaul and Marquette to win their seventh Big East tournament title in the last eight years. I, I restarted that streak, uh, so maybe they'll um win eight in a row from here on out. So we'll see, but yeah, that streak had got restarted, uh, after last year, or I guess it got restarted last year in Omaha, didn't it? Yeah, that's right. Never mind. Mm-hmm. I'm out of whack today. I'm thinking Ole Miss, and I'm just like, no, I'm not, I'm not with it right now. So you got to help me. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, that I mean, Nora Sis was huge all weekend. I think the thing that is kind of um, 
at least from the observer standpoint, like from the outside looking in, basically the lens I look through at this team or every team is like, how do freshmen handle their firsts? Um, you know, cause they experience everything at this level in different moments. Right. So like your first time playing on the road, your first time playing a ranked team, your first time, like for Creighton, first time playing in the Marquette match, like, and all the things that go with that, uh, your first time handling adversity when you get beat and have to come back and um, deal with the, you know, trying to correct things. Uh, and then with the Big East tournament and tournament, there's another, another first uh, experience to cross off there. So I was always kind of curious how freshmen handle those moments, you know, if, if they could affect performances or not. Um, and Norris just was, it was big time this weekend. I mean, it didn't look like, it affected her at all. And if it did, it, it had an enhancement to her game because she really stepped up and played pretty well, was really efficient with her attacks, um, played well defensively, served well. What did you think um, in terms of how she handled that that environment for the first time? Yeah, I mean, I think she just had an incredible offensive performance, honestly. I mean, she hit 448 for the match. So, I mean, that's good and. Honestly, it's kind of unheard of for an outside, right, to hit that well for a yeah. whole match. Um, so, yeah, I think she was just kind of in rhythm and kind of in the zone, honestly. I think they set the ball out to her, and I thought, okay, it's going to be a kill. You know, it's, it kind of got to that point where it wasn't going to be a question um, just because of how much she was rolling, and I thought just kind of nailing kills. And I thought she moved around her attacks really well. I thought, you know, she hit them um at different places along the floor so that was really helpful so I think just a really really good you know overall offensive performance she also you know had some digs in there too but I think the offense was really the star of the show in that match for her yeah uh coach Booth mentioned that you know the way DePaul defends they kind of just leak out their blockers to the pins you know um so Nora and Jayla and uh you know, that, that, that right side attack, too, all had four hands in front of them for most of the night. So for Nora to be at 448 with that, I mean, it kind of just speaks with, with what you just said in regards to, you know, cutting angles and taking always always taking aggressive swings, going after hands, you know, all the things that are kind of staples of what the great Creighton outside hitters have done in the past. Um, she got off to a really good start, too. That, that, that had to be a, a factor, right? Like, I don't think she made an error on her first 12 swings and she had nine kills in that first set that probably helped her settle in. Right. Just to get off to a really, really fast start like that. Cause I imagine if maybe she commits a couple of errors early, then maybe the moment kind of would overwhelm her a little bit, but the fast start probably helped her performance overall too. Right. Yeah. You know, I think I had to look a couple of times like, Oh, she has how many kills and it's only the first set. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm sure it did. And once you kind of get in that rhythm, especially early in a game, I think it just helps you throughout. I mean, even through the lulls, you know, the second set, she didn't have quite as many, of course, but um, she just kept on attacking and being really smart with what she was doing. So I think it just overall led to a really awesome performance. And, you know, every night you're not going to hit 448 as an outside, but it's nice to be rewarded, um, you know, in certain matches. And of course, um, she's going to have to do a lot and carry a lot of load going forward. Um, so, yeah, we'll see what happens. But I'm sure her confidence is really high after this weekend, just playing so well. So we'll yeah. see. Well, I mean, the thing with the 
the forehands probably isn't new to her, right? She got to such a good start in the non-con that by the time conference play rolled around, like she was a she had to be a main focus on the scouting report. So she probably has seen double blocks, triple blocks, everything a defense can throw at her at some point. Um well, I don't know. What did you see in terms of just how she navigated that? Did you did you notice that she was, you know, being really intelligent with her shot selection and trying to keep, uh, you know, the defenses guessing a little bit with off-tempo balls and different angles and things like that? Yeah, I think what makes her really special is she can elevate really well, and then mm-hmm. she doesn't, you know, take that ball down into the block. So I think you see a lot of hitters, like maybe they jump ball, but they're going for that big kill, right? I think she just, she hit deep parts of the court really well. She hit it sharp angle, you know, between that off blocker and uh, between the left back. She hit it deep in like the five, six zone. She can throw it down the line. She can hit it down the line. Um, You know, she can go off speed short. And then just because she elevates so well and is up so high, she can also tool hands really well. Mm. So I think it just becomes you know, a threat from any angle. And if you're defending her, especially if she's moving around her shot selection as much as she did in this match, it just becomes really difficult because you don't know, uh, you know, where she's going to tip or hit or really what she's going to do. So she's kind of, you know, at the mercy of the set she gets, but, you know, she got a lot of really good balls and the balls that maybe were off the net a little bit. I thought she was still really smart with and put in um, balls that were difficult for DePaul's defense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then, you know, this one was, pretty dominant performance by the Jays. It kind of, I mean, I think later we found out how much uh, they, how much of a sense of urgency they had down the stretch when you saw where they were seated. And we'll get to that in a second, but you know, it really was like, there really was no margin for error left. Like one more slip up might've not, might've knocked them out of that hosting conversation. Right. Um, It's just the way things shook out. So, I mean, I thought it was – it showed how focused they were this weekend just to come out and dominate a good a – te- a DePaul team we thought has been really good all year, right? We both agree that that's a legitimately – I mean, they should be in the NIBC. I didn't look to see if they accepted a bid or if even that thing's around this year. But if it is, uh, DePaul is definitely in that conversation to play some postseason matches. But, I mean, they held them to 088 hitting. So, again, that's – I you know – another sub 100 hitting performance uh, by an opponent against this Creighton defense. And there was only one tie and no lead changes the whole match. And the only, the only time it was tied was one, one in the first set. After that, it was, it was literally all Creighton. I mean, a total balanced performance too. They hit 292. So the offense was rolling. I think there were some lulls there inconsistency, but you know, overall the number is good. Um, You know, they had 14 blocks, five aces, only two errors. Uh, Kendra across the board production, six kills. She hit 500. Uh, she had five digs and five blocks to go with her 28 assists. Like that was just a really clean, dominant performance by the Jays against DePaul. Yeah. I mean, I really thought they dominated. And at times, I think you could just see that. It was so evident. And for DePaul, I thought they were out of sorts several times. You know, just passing was, you know, they were shanking balls and then just. They wouldn't get an attack and, you know, certain things. I just think Creighton put a lot of pressure on them. And as you said, I think DePaul has been a really strong team this year. And I think to put DePaul kind of in um, the style that they had to play during that match was, you know, due to a lot of their serving and just getting them out of system. And honestly, DePaul didn't really have an answer, I didn't think, um, for most of the match. Yeah, just to blend it with the Marquette 
match, the Big East title match for a second. Because I think the service errors were something that you noted last week and that you wanted to see that number come down a little bit. Even I think the Jays had 22 aces last weekend, but they also had 14 errors. So I think that was a number you wanted to see come down, that errors number, even though the aces were high. And, you know, that this weekend here in Milwaukee, 10 aces uh, in the two matches, only five service errors. So they did they did clean that up from the service line. Did you – did, did did you notice they were taking it? Was it was it less aggressive, or were they still as aggressive as they were? They were just cleaning with the serves. What did you think? Because it's kind of like a fickle thing, right? It's that key times you come out of a time, maybe throw them long or something like that. So I think they, you know, just clean it up. And yeah, to have those numbers over the weekend when you're playing two really solid teams, I think is impressive and something that they'll definitely need to carry forward with them as they move into the NCAA tournament. For sure. Yeah. I mean, cause you just don't want to be handed other teams points that easily. Right. And especially if you're going to go on long scoring runs, like this offense is done of late, you don't want to let teams get out of that easily. Right. Like you don't want to be on a five Oh run and then put one in the net when it could be seven. You know what I mean? Those points come back to bite you. Right. Yeah, exactly. And I think, I mean, you saw why serving was so important. They got down against Marquette and had to come back on those long runs. Mm -hmm. So if you're missing serves in those runs, right, you're not going to catch up. So I think they just were so solid then. Like, you know, it was, it was time to go. It was time that they needed points and they were solid. And I thought they were clean at those times. So it was impressive. Just some of the runs they were able to string together and come back when honestly, I was like, okay, I don't know how this set's going to turn out. Right. I thought maybe Marquette was going to take the set and we'd be going to four or five. Mm. Yeah. That was interesting. Like, I, I mean, we talked about it last weekend and Marquette ended up not having those two key cogs that we talked about hope works and Hannah Vandenberg, those injuries do look a little bit long-term. So that's unfortunate for them, but Specifically, Hope works because she is, you know, right up there with the best servers in this conference. Um, and I think you saw it a little bit in Marquette's serving performance. They made nine errors from the service line. You know, some of that was, you know, maybe just the pressure of the moment when Creighton started to catch up a little bit, especially in set two. Maybe they were pressing a little bit, trying to be perfect. Um, and that's usually when the mistakes happen, I think. But yeah, they had an opportunity there to kind of build some confidence in themselves without those two players. And I think it was really telling. I don't remember what time out it was, but, um, you know, obviously, so we're, just for frame of reference for people listening, Creighton was down 18 to 12 in that second set after they won the first one. Um, and the Jays rally, they went on an 11-1 run to take a 23-19 lead, and uh, Marquette couldn't catch up after that. But I think there was one timeout. And it was like, um, it might have been 1818 when Creighton caught all the way up. And Marquette took a timeout and they just, the camera kind of just stood on, like focused on their bench for some reason. Usually you don't see that, but the, the, the cameras just kind of focused on Marquette's bench and like the, the body language on their team, you could tell they were like, they were losing it. Like they were just not confident in themselves. You, that's not, and that's usually a, an area where Hope Worch is like super steely eyed and focused and, you know, can rally them to come back and, you know, stop Creighton's run and, and salvage the set. You know, I really thought, 
I'm not trying to take things away from Creighton the way Creighton performed, but I really thought they missed Marquette missed that because when Creighton punched back, you could see there's a little bit of a defeatist look on their faces. Like, Oh man, how are we going to stop this team? We don't have, you know, we don't have our studs to do this. Like they're overwhelming us right now. Did you notice that? Yeah, I noticed a little bit of the body language, um, like you mentioned. So, yeah, it's never good, right? I mean, volleyball is that sport that you can't have a tell, right? I mean, the best players are the same, whether they're losing or they're winning. So, yeah, it's just one of those things I think it spreads, too. I mean, if one player is down or frustrated, I think it's something that can spread um, really easily. And I think that happens with a lot of things. I think serving kind of can go in waves Mm -hmm. of, you know, if you have people missing, it just can be like wildfire and spread throughout your team. And for whatever reason, um, it can just affect people. So, yeah, I think that was kind of a shame to see. I thought they'd fight back a little bit more. And you kind of be going to extra points or they ready to get a kill in those big moments and they've had to switch it around and find different people at those key moments so hopefully you know they'll use it and um have a really good instantly tournament as well um just you know we always want the big east to do well so we'll see what happens but yeah, yeah i think Creighton just put so much pressure on them so yeah i don't know they it's, didn't really have an answer it's true though the look in the look in their eyes like you're you know you're Cause that's one thing. Like I could, I can go back and try to remember things when they were going sideways for you guys in certain matches. Like I don't think I could ever tell a look in your face that I could tell the score by the look in your eye. You know what I mean? Like, or if it, or if I was looking at you, I couldn't tell if you were winning or losing because the look is the same. You know, so it's it was quite a tell that Marquette was kind of in control of that whole set. And you're like, this is the one they need because they got to go to the locker room one one. They have to give themselves some confidence as they try to figure out who they're going to be as a team, you know, without hope works in the NCAA tournament, even more so than just today, whatever today means, you know, and for them to get like up 18, 12, you have to be feeling really good, right? Like they're probably, their confidence was probably as high as it was at any point during the day. We're up six on the Jays. Like we're, we're, we're controlling this set more than they controlled the first. And then here, the, here comes Creighton and then everything starts going sideways and, you know, now it's tied up and we're like, how did it get to this point? And we were just controlling this whole thing. And it didn't stop after that. Like Marquette comes out of that timeout and Creighton still keeps scoring. So it continued to go sideways. And I think the thing that really, really put the nail in the coffin was Marquette came out and set three and got another big lead. They were up 10-5, uh-huh. you know, and it was almost like their last like little burst. So like, you know, they don't really have any margin for error at that point down 0-2. Um, but Creighton erased that set, that deficit again in a hurry. And at that point, it's just like, yeah, there's, we can't stop this team. I think it's settled. I think it's set in when Creighton rallied from that early 10 5 deficit in set three because they controlled the rest of the thing. Yeah, I think you're right. You know, I kind of didn't expect Marquette to jump out to that hot of a start in the third set just because of kind of the fashion in which set two went. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, it's good to see for them. And that's always what you want, right? If you get beaten a set, it's a new set. But, yeah, the light crane come back and go on another run on them um, when they were up. I think it was impressive from Crane's end, but of course, disappointing for Marquette. And yeah, I definitely agree. I think, you know, you kind of, you lose that lead and you're like looking at it and you're like, okay, we've now lost two huge leads um, in different sets. So we just, you know, we don't have an answer. And I think Crane kind of 
took advantage and when Marquette was down they just you know kept on rolling and point by point they just you know climbed to 25. Yeah and, and it was another good blocking performance by the Jays. Annika Welty had a career high 10 blocks today. Um, honestly you know the thing about Annika is I don't I'm not sure a lot of people are aware of this but she's battled like ankle problems her whole career and the fact that she is playing at the level she's playing at to end her career when like she's in a walking boot constantly. You know what I mean? Like you can't, you'll never run into Annika on campus when she's not in a walking boot. You know, she, you know, it's just amazing to see the way she's performed down the stretch here. I mean, I don't think they win the league title in the regular season uh, without the way she performed down the stretch. I mean, she hit well north of 350 over the last 10 or so matches and her blocking has been great. Um, so I know she did, she probably didn't hit like she wanted to hit in this match. I don't think anybody did, honestly, except maybe Nora, but you know, for her to get 10 blocks in a championship match, you know, especially with all she has to go through physically, like that's really impressive. She, she was a stud. Yeah. I think what she's done is really impressive and man, it's always hard. I mean, I was in a similar situation my sophomore year with injuries and not practicing and being in a boot and trying to go play games. So I know how hard that is and just the amount of work it takes behind the scenes to even be healthy enough to, you know, run and jump and do all that during a game is just it's hours and hours and hours of work behind the scenes so yeah it's so impressive and um you know I think the way that she's just stepped into that position and been a really solid um person for them to rely on um Mm. is super helpful and I agree I you know I don't think they go and win the big east without her I think she just adds a really awesome dimension to their whole team and allows them to spread it out and um you know really be a threat offensively and defensively yeah for sure and Kendra Waite had a really good whole weekend but I mean this again we're trying to it's interesting to see how they handle those first moments this is her first you know Big East tournament championship and you know she hits north of 400 no errors she calls her own number nine times gets four kills she had two aces from behind the line you know 24 assists and three sets uh for his for as bad as the offenses were on both sides, that's pretty good. Um, and then she gets 12 digs and seven blocks, like just an all around. She was still that defensive stud she's been all year. And then she was efficient offensively and, and made good decisions with the ball. I thought. Yeah, I agree. I thought she made really good decisions and it's fun to see her dumping just get so like, so efficient. I think it's just mm-hmm. something that, you know, maybe wasn't there at the beginning of the season, but now you just, you know, you, you never know when to expect it. And that's exactly what you want as a setter when you're going to dump. And I think she just picks great times, especially if teams are transitioning or kind of out of whack a little bit. She'll just throw it down and no one's there, right? No one's home to dig it. So I think it's just really fun to see her evolution doing that. And then, too, I thought, you know, just spreading out offensively. I think she hit people um at good times and spread out the offense well so it'll be really fun to see just her evolution even as you go into the postseason are you throwing uh or i guess should we should we take into account the 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 absence of hope hope Worch when we look at them holding marquette to 083 hitting because that's not an easy team to hold down right like they're they're usually a juggernaut offensively so, but I mean, for them to hold Marquette sub 100 is really impressive. And I, and, you know, Savannah Rennie has had good matches. Uh, you know, Jenna Reitzma has come up big in these last couple weeks or the last week and a half now without Wirch. And 
Like, I feel like they had answers. They had something, a plan for how they wanted to attack Creighton offensively. And it wasn't necessarily um, – like I don't think the odds were insurmountable without Wirch. Like, I think Marquette still thought they had a shot and a plan. Um, so I thought it was – I thought Creighton – the way Creighton executed their defensive game plan, again, was good because you have to deal with different tendencies, um, different hitters. It's just a different element. Like, normally – you know, sometimes in in games and matches, like especially at the college level, uh, not having a key cog can throw you off defensively. Like I, I can remember back. Uh, I mean, Jacob could probably speak to this too. Their NCAA tournament game against Kansas State, right? That whole week was like game planning for Dean Wade, K State stud, but he's been injured, so you're not sure if he's going to play. And then all of all of a sudden, before the game starts, he's scratched, right? But K-State still wins that game because most of Creighton's focus was on stopping Dean Wade and he didn't play. So now the game plan is kind of like, well, how do we defend the rest of these guys? Like there was an element of that. There had to be, right, for Marquette. Like not having not having words is a is a is a it hurts them for sure. But it does, you know, to some degree hurt the opponent too, because you have to prepare like they're available if you think they are, aren't don't you? Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think you see that happen a lot in, in sports. And, you know, that happened my time. There was a, a match that I ended up setting with Sam Bonet and against Georgetown. And I'm sure Georgetown's sitting there like, what do we do? <laughs> like, I've never seen this girl set. Of course you haven't. So as much as we didn't know exactly what we were doing, they didn't know how to prepare. So I think you run kind of into that in this situation. Obviously, it's a big match and you're playing a really good opponent. Um so it's just, it's hard to prepare either way, but as much as, you know, offense is important, I think this game was really more defensive. I mean, just, they had equal amount of digs. I think blocking was huge for Creighton um, as it was for Marquette, you know, it was important and no one didn't really hit that well. I mean, just hitting efficiency across the board for both teams wasn't that high um, really for anybody except for maybe Kendra with um, her setter dumps, but yeah, I think it really was just one defensively and then serve and pass. I think the yeah. team that was going to serve and pass the best was going to win. And um, then Creighton was able to play really good defense too. So that helped him out. So I think serve and pass and defense really um, was able to carry them through and get them in the win. Yeah, because Marquette served really well against UConn the day before. So they had a good performance to jump off of at least or to, to go off of. Um, but yeah, it, it did seem like Creighton won those areas. And that's, you know, Honestly, that's what they've been. That's what they've been doing lately. That's why. That's why this defense has been playing so well, right? Because, I mean, you said it a thousand times on here. It's all linked together. Like if you don't, if you don't serve aggressively, you can't make the other team's offense predictable, which makes your blocking schemes kind of irrelevant because you have to guess a lot if the other team's in system, right? So, you know, for Creighton to win the serve and pass battle, it kind of just you know it connected everything, and it's the, it's one of the main reasons that they held a dynamite offense uh, like Marquette's to sub 100 hitting is the, you know, it's, it was, it's the reason for everything. As it is. As- and you can, yeah, you can harp on it over and over again, but if you don't win serve and pass, I don't, you know, I don't think you win many games at all, honestly. I mean, everything after that becomes important, but if you, if you can't put the ball in the net, right, you're, you're not going to have a decent attack thrown at the other team and mm-hmm. you're probably going to lose. So it's just the, you know, at, the core of everything you do as loyal players. So that's why 
you spend so much time serving and passing exactly it's funny it's funny how like simplistic it is like because i bet i bet coaches want to be more insightful and players want to be more insightful when they're saying what are the keys to success today you're like how do i give this answer without saying serve and pass serve and pass serve and pass a thousand times but really it is really important because it just it starts everything for you yeah, exactly. I mean, it's your first contact, right? I mean, mm-hmm. either way, you're serving it across the net and putting pressure on passers or you're receiving the ball. And if you're not in system with either of those, you know, you're not hitting good serves and getting a team out of system. And then for you, if you're not in, in system, you can't do anything. So as much as, yeah. you know, maybe it's not the most fun part of the game, um, I'd probably rather practice like hitting, right. Or blocking or something, but yeah, yeah, it's really just the center of everything. And that's why, you know, you're starting practice with, with passing and you're ending practice with passing and you're serving multiple times throughout practice. So yeah, it's, it's simple, but it wins you games. Cause yeah. Cause I mean, blocking and hitting are like the sexy things, right? Those are the highlight real things. Yeah. But yeah, but first contact is way more important because it doesn't, you don't get to make those highlight real plays without first contact being on point. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Unfortunately, I don't think anyone's going to get a highlight of them, like passing the perfect ball to the yeah, center. Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's set up the kill or the block. Yeah. So, you know, that's why, you know, you got to give credit to your passers and your servers. Um, we should, we, should, we should kind of highlight real of a bunch of threes. Like just, What's this? It's just perfect <laughs> passes. It, yeah, unfortunately, those DSs and Loveros, they don't really get those uh, <laughs> highlights, but maybe they should. Just their perfect passes on a highlight reel. Yeah, we'll have to change the game a little bit there and maybe give them the credit <laughs> they deserve. So uh, fast forward Selection Sunday now. Um, what were you thinking for the Jays? Like, uh, what was your reaction to everything that kind of went down? First of all, Actually, should we go on a Selection Sunday rant real quick, or should we talk about – should we just stay on point? What should we do? Because that show – We can rant for less than five minutes. <laughs> okay, less than five minutes. Got it. All right, start the clock. This – this I don't know who's producing this outfit, but we need to have a conversation. Because this is two years in a row now where I feel like I've been dragged to my death, like watching this show <laughs> play out. And it's like – Slow death. Yeah, slow death, right. Like you're just being tortured, like – Last year, it took 48 minutes. I timed it. It took 48 minutes to release the whole field of 48 teams. And I didn't time it this year, but it felt like it was the same pace. You know, you – God bless them for at least releasing the top 14 so Creighton could celebrate something in the first half hour of this mess. But you've got – you go bracket reveal. You go quadrant reveal. It's not even bracket reveal. It's like we're going to give you eight teams. Then we're going to interview two coaches from this grouping. Then we're going to dissect it. Then we're going to go to commercial. Then we're going to come back and interview someone else. Then we're going to go to another quadrant. Just just throw the bracket up there and then do your interviews. Like, people will pay attention, right? If you know, like, hey, we're going to interview Creighton's coach in 10 minutes. Creighton fans are going to stay watching the, like the, the show. They're not going to turn it off. I don't know what the plan is with this thing, but it, you can't torture these people because on the other end of this is – all these bubble teams that don't know if they're in or out or what's going on. Their whole season's on the line right here. And you're dragging them through this, like who they don't care what Georgia Tech's coach says right now. They want to know if they're in the field, tell them if they're in the field, then talk to Georgia Tech's coach later. That's the end of my rant. Like that's two years in a row. I can't stand it. They got to overhaul this thing. It's a mess. 
Yeah, it is a mess. And yeah, I agree. I was just thinking about those teams too. And today they released, right, like some of the videos of the reactions of people that got in. And I was just like, they're probably sitting there for, oh gosh, Mm. well over an hour, just like, you know, twiddling their thumbs. Like what, like, is our season over? Like, what are we doing? You know, are we in the tournament? I agree. It's, it's bad. It just, it needs to be more organized and let the teams know if they've made it. And They've waited long enough, you know, let them know and let's get on to it and get to scheduling, I guess, you know, if you have to travel and all that stuff. So, exactly. It's you know, get ready to go and help people out, help them, you know, get a step ahead and get prepared for the week. The part that was really annoying was like, you could tell they had the whole bracket on the table with them because they said like, she, I think she, I can't remember what her name is, but she started reading off names of teams that hadn't even been put on the screen yet. And I think one was like, they said that seven or six ACC teams were in, but they'd only told you about four of them. You're like, hold up. So who are the two bubble teams that are in for the ACC? Because that dwindles things yeah. down for other bubble teams. Like, you know, when you're doing the math there, you're just trying to figure things out. I don't know. It was it was a mess. Like, it's got to stop. It's got to stop. Next year could not be like that. I think, <laughs> I think that was five minutes, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I think that was good. Okay. So, uh, yeah, what was your thought process going into as we transition to the happy news? Um, of, like, what you thought Creighton were you, – did you were you confident Creighton had done enough to host 30-3, and three, um, you know, top 10 RPI? I think they finished eighth. Uh, what? Let's see. They were 5-1 and one versus the top 30, 13-1 versus the top 75. Um, they did have one sub-100 loss. St. John's was 101, so that's a one – that's, that, you know, it's – it's RPI 101, but it is a sub 100 loss. But um, yeah, how did, how did you feel about before it was released? Did you feel like the Jays were in a really good position or were you nervous? No, I feel like they were in a good position to host. Um, you know, I think they deserve to host. And especially with how strong the Big East this year was RPI wise, I thought, you know, just having them win out these last two games, especially um, this weekend, I thought kind of solidified that spot and then you know teams that they did beat you know your Kentucky's USC they went on to have good seasons and got some you know big wins recently so that helped to boost the RPI a little bit at least um yeah so I thought they'd host and I kind of thought they'd be in that range um there you know probably above 10 you know somewhere between 10 10 and 16 so Mm -hmm. I think 14 is a is a good position to be in um but yeah it's always good to host and um, from what I saw, they're really excited to host, of course. So yeah, we'll see what happens, and it'll be fun, hopefully, to see those matches in person. Yeah, I thought I thought I was a little, I was I was in a little bit of a different camp there. I think I was a little bit disappointed they got a fourteen because I I just don't know. I thought they were I thought they had done more than that. Um, and I guess it's hard to knock down single digit seeds. Like once you get into that territory, you're talking about elite resumes, but. I mean, what was Kentucky seven, right? Like, I think so. Yeah. Does Kentucky have a better resume than Creighton this year? I don't know that they do. And you have the three zero set in Lincoln or Lexington, excuse me, that the Jays won. So I don't know. I thought the seeding was kind of all over the place a little bit, and I was really surprised that Creighton had to wait as long as they did to find out they were hosting. Um, I don't know. It's not just like the Kentucky and the USC part, like. Their wins over SMU, Illinois, um, UNO, and South Dakota, and Wichita State, those are all really good RPI wins. And they all happened, um, with the exception of SMU, Illinois, and Omaha, they all happened away from home. That's what I mean. Like, Creighton won 
Um, what were they away from home this year? They were. Yeah, they were 19 and two away from Omaha. So they lost two, I know. I mean, yeah. So that's only, I mean, the 19 of the 30 wins came away from home. Like, that's tough to do, right? I just thought their resume deserved better than a 14. But I don't know. It's, it's, it's interesting because some higher seeds have tougher roads, too, when you look at it. So, like, I mean, Wisconsin has to go through, what, Stanford, Minnesota. Who else is in that side? Like, that's a tough, mm, tough yeah. job. I mean, Minnesota's a, Minnesota's a single-digit seed, and they have Stanford coming to them, don't they? I mean, that's, that's, yeah. So, yeah, that's the thing. It's like the seed maybe always isn't the best matchup. I think that's the hardest part kind of to understand is it's like, okay, I just need to look at my matchups. Like, it doesn't so much matter my seed, but it's like, okay, what team is coming and, you know, what kind of offense do they run? That sort of thing. And just like, how will you match up against them? Yeah. And then when you look at Creighton's road to a big run here, it's like, um, you know, Pitt is the highest seed in their region, right? Um, they're the three. There's some familiarity there, right? Creighton's played Pitt in the past. They, you know, they've they've some of their players that they've played against are still on Pitt's roster. So there's familiarity there with them. That's not gonna be like if Creighton has to go to Pitt if they advance to that stage, like they're not gonna be overwhelmed by playing Pitt. They've played them before. Um, you know, Purdue is the sixth seed in that region, right? So that's the other uh, highly seeded team they've played Purdue away from home before um, so that's not gonna it's not something that throws them off like where you know like where you go to Texas for the first time and you have to deal with Texas's athleticism for the first time and you only get to experience it in the match and that's when you have to adjust to it like this is a little bit of a different road where Creighton's got some familiarity with their opponents at least you know maybe not this year or last year you know recently so yeah the matchups are interesting um you know, it's it's as much as you think the 14 might be uh, a questionable seed, and I certainly do. Like, I think they deserved higher than a 14. Um, the road they have isn't uh, isn't what you would normally have for a 14, I guess. Like, there's not the – like, they're as good as anybody in that region, I think is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I think you look at the matchups and, you know, you hope they can get out of their region and win out, but – yeah, I agree. I think their first two games, especially, um, you know, I don't, I guess I don't know that much about Ole Miss um, and Oregon, Kansas, I'm more familiar with, but, you know, I think if they get to that Oregon match um, and beat Ole Miss, I think they'll be in a good position and can be really competitive. So, gosh, I don't know. I mean, I think it's a, a good position. It's like you said, to be matched up in the region with Pitt, I think um, could be good if, you know, if they get that far, I think they could give them a really good match. Yeah. Um, well, I just think it's one of those things where, like, I'm not trying to knock Pitt. Pitt's really good. And Pitt's been good for a while. But it just doesn't have, like, the same, like, feel to – it's not that Creighton will have to play really, really well to win, but I just don't think they'll have to overcome a mental hurdle to do it. Like, I think they'll be confident they can beat everybody in that region as opposed to if it's, like, a perennial national championship contender like – um like if Stanford had a really good year and they're not going out to Palo Alto or if, you know, Wisconsin or um, Texas, like those type of teams, like it's just it, this year, it looks like, first of all, what Creighton's done with their schedule, I think it's one of their tougher schedules they've played just the way it turned out, you know? Um, 
they've they've played a lot of really good teams and some really elite teams. So I think they're prepared. I think they're battle tested for what they're going to see in the NCAA tournament. Um, and I think it'll start this weekend in Omaha because, you know, when you look at this Ole Miss team, they're they're uh, you know twenty one and eight. You know, they're coached by a former just absolute stud on the international level and at Nebraska, kind of the, you know, one of the best defensive players you'll find in Caleb Banworth. Um, and, you know, they have a win at Western Kentucky. There's all Western Kentucky's only loss this year is that match right there that Ole Miss went in and beat them. Um, and, you know, they played a tough schedule in the SEC. They went five with Kentucky um, and played well down the stretch to get in the tournament. I mean, they were, they were on the bubble, so they had to be near perfect. And the thing that throws me off with Ole Miss is I'm not really sure. Like, you go back and look at that Western Kentucky match and, like, their top three hitters – or I guess our top two hitters from that in terms of, uh, you know, kills and offensive production. I don't know if they're healthy because like there's their numbers are so sporadic and they only had five matches available on ESPN. So I don't have a large database to break them down, but you know, how tough is that to scout when you have, you know, like just a team with so many hitters that have produced throughout the season that you're not familiar with. Right. Um, but you have to somehow prepare yourself for what they can do to you in a winner take all match, you know, on Thursday night. Yeah, it makes it tough, you know, especially on the coaches. That's, you know, a lot of their their job is to scout. And as much as you want to look at the most recent matches, you have to kind of prepare. And if somebody gets thrown in there and you haven't seen them for a while, you have to know kind of their tendencies. So I'm sure they will prepare, um, you know, Creighton really well for that. Um, and I'm sure they're pulling a lot of long nights um just trying to kind of figure out um what the approach is going to be um you know defensively and offensively just to kind of throw out old miss when they get out on the court but yeah it's going to be tough and you know you never know what you're going to see and um i think is this old miss's first NCAA tournament i don't know if i read that since, correct or not but since 2010 yeah yeah since 2010 so yeah it's been a while for them so i guess you'll kind of see how they show up and um I don't know. I think Creighton will be really comfortable at home. So that's another thing that'll give them an advantage um, there, but it'll just be fun to kind of get in there. And it's, it's always a different feel when you're playing a team that you haven't played, you know, and you're not super familiar with. So it's kind of, it's fun, but at the same time, you know, you can make you think a little bit more about scout and certain things that you have to remember. Yeah. And then, you know, just watching, I I watched, uh, you know, their last match of the year against Alabama and, you know, just when you're, trying to get a feel for what was at stake for Ole Miss. Like when you look at their RPI and everything, that was a must win match for them. So it's a good gauge of like seeing them at their best. Right. Cause they feel like they can't Alabama's had did not have a good year. So a loss to Alabama would have knocked them out of the field. Um, So yeah, you just kind of like, they performed really well. I mean, they were really balanced offensively. You can see that their serve was disrupting. They had a good block going. So everything was kind of working for them that day. Um, you know, Lauren Thompson looks like a hitter on the outside. And I'm, honestly, she had, she only had 19 aces on the year, but five of them came in that last match of the year. So, you know, she might be at a different level right now in terms of her confidence from a service line standpoint. So that's another thing that Creighton might have to worry about. Um, but she's at 2.49 kills per set. She's hitting above 200. Uh, Anna Bears at 274, averaging 3.45 kills per set on 900 attacks. That's a lot. That's a big 
that's a heavy load and a very productive, efficient hitter right there. Um, and then there's this Peyton kid. What's her name? Peyton, uh, Peyton Burgotch, who has only played in 22 matches, but she's hitting 327. So you're kind of wondering, like, okay, what's her availability like? How, you know, what's what's her deal? Because um, she's an effective weapon for them too. Uh, Sasha Ratliff is their middle hitter for this Alabama match, and she's hitting 387, and she serves too. So, yeah, I mean, they've they've got some pieces that, uh, you know, if they can get one or two of them or two or three of them firing in all cylinders, will be a tough day, a tough out for sure. And I think you just know, like with uh Kayla's pedigree right and then coming from Nebraska's culture like she's gonna have her team prepared to be at their best you just you just kind of imagine it don't you yeah I think that's what great coaches do right I mean they get them prepared and even if they haven't been you know in this position before which none of these players have on this roster I mean I'm sure they're going to be prepared and um just embracing the moment and for Ole Miss I mean they really have nothing to lose right I mean First match he played in the NCAA tournament for several years, and um, they're the underdogs. So I think sometimes that's easier, um, you know, in some scenarios, um, just to kind of go out there and try to play your best volleyball, and no one's really expecting them to win, right? Um, right, right, yeah. In the in the media or in the public, um, but yeah. So we'll see. Sometimes you know it can be nerve wracking to be the host and. Um, to be the one expected to win. So I think that dynamic, hopefully both teams will kind of settle in and you'll see some really good volleyball. Um, but yeah, it's always interesting, especially that first, the first time you step on the court, I think there's something a little bit different about it being in silly tournament time. So I think both teams will feel that. Yeah. Kayla's from Dubuque, Iowa too. Iowa doesn't get enough love for its volleyball pedigree, does it? <laughs> but yeah, we got some good ones over there. Was she, so, was she someone you followed growing up? Was she, you know, her career is, I mean, up there with the best of them ever. I mean, did she, is it something that like she had kind of an impact on the younger generation behind her or do you not have much familiarity? Um, I didn't really follow her career too much. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm familiar with her and I think you're kind of familiar with everybody that comes out of the state of Iowa on the volleyball scene, especially and has really good success. You know, kind of just have that pride in your state and sure. great players that, state so i mean there's been several like michaela fecky who played on nebraska yep i played some youth volleyball stuff with her so i followed her career a little bit more so yeah players that i guess are a little bit closer to my age probably but um i followed a little bit more but yeah it's always fun to kind of see everyone go off and have success wherever they play gotcha yeah what's the key for Creighton's side of it i mean you always talk about your side of the net being paramount to anything like you know as good as people will be on the other side of it from a their tendencies aren't a whole lot different than what you're facing in a tough schedule anyway. So you can adjust to it on the fly. Well, how do you get yourself prepared for this? Cause I think, I mean, you've been pretty candid in the past about hosting is a different animal, right? It's a, you know, it's a different type of distraction when you have, you know, that buzz around campus all week and then people, you know, kind of hitting you up for tickets and all that. Like there's a different kind of, there's a lot of outside things that can bleed into your preparation that you have to be able to manage, right? Um, so what's the challenge going to be like for the players this year to, or this this week to compartmentalize all that and make sure they're prepared when they take the court? Yeah, I think you just try to go about it in the same way that you've you know, done all your conference matches. Um, 
they've had great, great success at home so far playing in those um, conference matches. So I think you just have to kind of approach it like that. And I mean, it will all be the same. Obviously, there's some different like rules um, that kind of go into it when the NCAA kind of gets in there and has control of the site. Um, yeah. But, you know, you have to just approach it like any other match and you're at home, so you're comfortable and you have to just, I don't know, kind of tune out that outside noise as much as you can. And as much as the buzz and the excitement is good, I mean, good for Creighton and just good for the community. I think you just have to focus on the task at hand and buy into scout and really just, you know, study scout and um, be prepared as much as you can. Um, so that when you get out there, you can just play loose and um, have some fun. Was it challenging to handle that? Um, at times it was challenging. I would say, I mean, there's just, it's just a different look and I don't know. It just, it's a different, I don't know, vibe, I guess I would say, Mm -hmm. um, versus, you know, what you're used to doing in like your own home space. So as much as you're at home, it's also, you have to, you know, invite three other teams, um, into the arena and there's like shifts or practice and things like that. So it's just a little bit different. Um, so, you know, you just have to kind of minimize that and show up and just be locked in when you're on the court and, you know, kind of go home and just reset. And when you come back to the gym, then you're ready to play the volleyball. Yeah. What's the, what are the environment? What do you remember about the environment for those? I think you played coastal Carolina, Michigan state, South Dakota, Washington, right? Like those are the arena. I mean, first of all, it's filled to the brim. And then just every point is just madness, right? Like, what does it feel when you're in that moment? Like, does the gym feel like, is it the energy in there is at a different level? It doesn't feel like the regular season. It feels like you're playing for your season. Yeah, I think it always does. I mean, I don't, I think wherever you are playing the NCAA tournament and yeah, at home, it's just a different buzz too. I mean, you look around and obviously see a lot of blue um, Mm. as opposed to if you were, you know, playing somewhere else. Um, so I think it's just really fun and yeah, I just remember it being packed and just looking around and not really, you know, seeing an open seat and just having people standing around and everyone's there to just watch good volleyball. So I think it's so fun. Um, but yeah, it can just be, it can be loud and it can be intense at times, but I think you just kind of, kind of rally behind your home crowd and, um, hopefully there's a lot of J stands and they bring a lot of energy. Yeah. How how does it affect the match? Like, do you, can you use it when you're on a run, like, or do you just try to focus and not, not worry about it? Like, cause for volleyball, it just feels different. Cause it, it, the thing swings so much, like, you know, you put a ball down and the other team's serving and the runs over, like, but you know, it's not like the same for basketball where you can sustain it for a longer period of time. Right. Like, do you use the crowd at all? Or do you just try to tune it out as much as possible and focus on just, you know, nailing a pass and, setting up your block and leaking out in time and timing your jump so you can hit a, the ball at the right angle. You know, like there's so much to worry about for a volleyball player in quick little bursts. Like, can you use the crowd or do you try to tune it out? You know, I think you can use it. I think a really good example of that is like a big block or something. That's just a really big momentum shifter. Mm-hmm. I think you'll, you'll hear the crowd get really loud, you know, a big kill or certainly like a big block always or, a really long extended point with tons of defense. I think those things, if you come out on top can just be really big momentum swings. And when the crowd gets loud, I think it can be intimidating for teams that come and play mm. um, there just because I think people are loud and they're really into it. And, you know, I think for the most part, the fans are like educated and they know what's going on, um, you know, volleyball wise, as far as, 
you know, kills and like different skills and that sort of thing. So I think people really get behind it and um, they cheer loud and I hopefully, uh, you know, they show up and I think they will. I'm sure they'll pack the house and it'll be a really awesome atmosphere. Yeah, the way it shakes out, like I was a little bit worried because Creighton, the men's basketball team is playing Iowa State on Saturday. And I was like, well, if Creighton mm-hmm. gets a Friday, Saturday draw, they better not try to schedule that on top of each other because that'll bleed into, you know, either or one of the crowds, right, um, for both of those big games. But, I mean, like, I think the men played Gonzaga, what, your senior – no, your junior year, right? So, like – and then Gonzaga was ranked number one. Um, so, they played it in the afternoon, and I think – I remember driving back up to the arena and that place was pretty packed for that Washington match. So I think uh, I expect the the place to be packed. Like I, I think the crowd's been really good this year. I think they're happy to be back in the arena. Like they're, they're kind of like starved for it after not getting it last year. So I think they're, their home crowds have been pretty good, even for, you know, name a bottom feeder that they've played. I think it's been a, uh, a really like hostile environment for an opponent to go in and try to like settle down into. I don't think it's been very easy. So, and Creighton has road waves of momentum. I mean, it started with the Iowa state match. I don't know if you were there for that exhibition, but I don't think I was. Yeah. I mean, that thing felt like an NCAA tournament match. Like it did. So I don't know what it's going to feel like this week, but or Thursday, but I think it's going to be rocking. So we'll see. It's fun though. Cause I think that they deserve that. Like they've built this whole thing up. Right. They've had so much sustained success that like they're they shouldn't have to be the road warriors all the time, you know? Like they should be able to like dictate terms. Like you come play us now in front of our fans instead of us having to overcome yours all the time, right? So like there's a little bit of a reward in this. It's not just advantageous from a from a playing standpoint. Like, there's a reward for all the Creighton's hard work. I mean, 30 wins, a top 10 RPI. Uh, they've beaten everybody, you name it, on the road already. 19 road wins this year, like away from home. That's crazy. I mean, you might some teams don't even win 19 matches in a year. Creighton's done that away from home, period. So, I mean, they deserve this. Like, that's that's the fun part about it is, like, they should they should be able to, like, sleep in their own beds and then play in front of their own fans. Like, that's, that's what they play for, I think. So, as much as we can, like, toil about their 14 seed and all that stuff and pick it apart, like, they're getting to host. They're one of the top 16. And Megan knows too. <laughs> Megan knows that being one of the top sixteen teams doesn't always guarantee you a host. So she's she's lived that experience out as a freshman. So when they had to go to Chapel Hill, so it's. Uh, I think there's going to be a good vibe this week in practice, and I think uh, the matches this weekend will be fun and entertaining for everybody who tunes in. Like, I mean, you know, Oregon doesn't come here very often either, and Kansas has had a really good volleyball program for a while now. I mean, I think the last time you played them. Um, Kendra Waite's sister was their libero, right? It was. Yeah, so there's a little yep. bit of like history there. So see, um, yeah, it'll be a, it'll be a fun weekend. What are you looking forward to the most? Um, I'm just looking forward to you know just seeing them play really well. I I just hope they play really well and they put so much work in. And this is really the fun part of season. So hopefully they just go out and enjoy it and. I, you know, I don't think it's hard to get excited this time of year. You know, I think you're excited to go to practice. I think you're excited to play in games and everything's kind of new at this point, you know, just, it doesn't come around as much. And especially after last year, you know, just their NCAA experience, um, 
was just not similar to, you know, what it should be. So I think those kind of relish just moment and to have fans and to to play on their own, you know, home court in a, in a real gym, I think is just a huge deal. And, um, you know, I don't think you can take that for granted and I'm sure they don't. So I'm sure they'll be super excited and hopefully they'll pull out two wins um, and they get to the seed 16. Yeah. You mentioned that, like, uh, it does feel like a different season when you get to this point, like, do, do, do you do you remember what it felt like to be practicing for NCAA tournament matches? Like, does it really feel like does it does it bring a different energy to you when you go to the gym and like practice doesn't feel the same? It feels like you know you're at this point in the year. Yeah, I mean, I think it definitely does. I think you get to the point. You know, coaches I remember had like reminded us they're like you're one of you know 64 teams practicing today. Mm-hmm. You know, before like the NIVC and everything, so. I think you just have to enjoy the moment, you know, at the same time, I think you try to fine tune a little bit, just what you're doing as a team and individually, just, you know, so everyone can kind of raise their level um, every practice still, and you're hopefully still improving um, as you go on and then kind of hitting that peak now. Right. I mean, you kind of saw that this weekend. I thought they dominated in the Big East tournament. So hopefully they'll even continue to get a little bit better um, and just play really good volleyball and hopefully their best volleyball the whole season this weekend. Yeah. I'll leave, uh, we'll leave everybody with this. I did look this up last night. First of all, Creighton's entering the tournament. I mean, well, they, whether they entered it or not, uh, they have the number one, <laughs> number one ranked opponent hitting percentage. Uh, they're allowing teams mm-hmm. to hit 117. So that's number one in the country. Um, so I decided to look it up last night. Cause I was curious. I'm like, I wonder what the, path has looked like for teams that have you know been able to stake that claim and what's their postseason how's their postseason played out so um in addition national national seeds that enter with the best or the lowest opponent hitting percentage uh for the last five of those teams have gone to the final four the one that didn't was uh pit in 2019 they lost in five sets to cincinnati this is a cincinnati team that had like an olympic level outside hitter so it was there were some extreme circumstances there for that cincinnati squad that jordan thompson kid was a different problem altogether so but yeah wisconsin went to the final four last year um they were holding teams to 128 hitting um nebraska was at 130 they were a national runner-up in 2018 florida was a national runner-up in 2017 and nebraska in 2016 went to the final four and then the years before that uh, Washington went to the Elite Eight and Colorado State went to the Sweet 16. So um, this year, Creighton comes in the tournament. They're holding teams to 117 opponent hitting through 33 matches. Absolutely staggering. <laughs> Absolutely staggering defense they've been playing all year. Um, but it bodes well for them making a run, at least historically speaking. Uh, teams that have entered with that with that label have um, historically gone on some pretty deep runs. So we'll see if the Jays can do the same. I'll leave everybody with that. Like that's a good optimistic little feeling. Yeah. Hopefully we're talking about some wins next. Yeah, exactly. Week. You you'd be fine celebrating a final. We can manifest it. It'll be great. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So yeah, thanks for everybody for tuning in. We appreciate you. Um, we're dwindling down to the end of the year now, so we don't know how many we, of these we have left, but I appreciate Megan's analysis a whole bunch. Um, and yeah, we'll come at you at least one more time after the Jays get done with this uh, first weekend of the NCAA tournament. Uh, they play Ole Miss. At 7 o'clock on Thursday, uh, Oregon and Kansas will be at 4.30 that day. Um, and then the winner 
of those matches will play at seven o'clock the following night on Friday. All the matches will be at DJ Soko Arena. So get your tickets and head on down there um, and enjoy the show. For Megan, I'm Matt. This has been your Creighton Volleyball Wrap-Up Podcast. Thanks for tuning in.